Chapter Seventeen of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Seventeen, Midnight Vigils. There were indeed four strangely assorted characters in that sleigh as they were carried beyond the sounds of music and gaiety, which to Hemstead and Lottie Marsden at least were little less than mockery. There was the stolid coachman, who, whatever his thoughts were, had been trained to appear oblivious to everything save his duty, and to be but an animate part of the establishment. He was much like the horses he drove, living his narrow, material life in the passing hour, knowing little and caring less about the past or the future. Hemstead, in contrast, had a mind as ethereal as faith could make it, and a fancy enriched by wide reading heretofore he had lived chiefly in the past and future his studies making him at home in the one and his hopes leading him forward into the other but now a silent form near him had a strange power to concentrate his thoughts on the present the man who had speculated and reasoned about sinners in the abstract and who had classified and divided them up into well-defined shades and degrees was now sorely puzzled over two of them who in a certain sense were under his charge what was also odd his deepest sympathy and desire to help did not appear drawn toward the greater sinner indeed for the tipsy youth he had hardly a sentiment other than contempt broad impartial rules of action and feeling seemed perfectly correct in the seminary he forgot that he was not carrying them out it did not occur to him that he was like a physician who stepped by the sickest patient to a better and more promising one. In justice it must be said that he would have put himself to any personal inconvenience, and have made any effort in his power were the question brought to an issue, in order to work a transformation in De Forest's character. But for some reason it was so perfectly natural to take an absorbing interest in Lottie's moral state that he never asked himself why he had not a similar solicitude for Addie or Bell Parton. Rigid and impartial rules are very well, till fallible men come to apply them to their most fallible fellow-creatures. Only God can mercifully apply a perfect law to imperfect humanity, and if he had a beloved disciple, might not Hemstead have a favorite sinner? and an oddly related couple were those two young people whom all supposed destined for a union that in the judgment of friends would be most fitting but that in truth would be unnatural and productive to wretchedness though hemstead's mind dwelt unwaveringly upon them he never once looked back during the drive he would have seen a strange sight if he had a beautiful woman with a face looking almost spirit-like in the pale moonlight with her arm for the first time around a man whom she was beginning in the depths of her soul almost to loathe. No embrace of affection was that, but a mechanical act prompted by a stern and remorseful sense of duty. She shrank from the man whose swaying form she steadied. It was settled that night in her own soul, as if by a decree of fate, that she would never marry Julian de Forest, and yet it was one of the good traits in her character that— while she drew back in shuddering aversion from any close personal relation to him she at the same time had generous regretful pity and if she could be kind to him at a distance would be a very faithful friend 
but why did her eyes turn so often and so wistfully up to the tall great-coated form before her she did not know she did not even ask herself are we ever guided by reason will deliberate choice are there not often strong half-recognized instincts that sway us more profoundly even as the plant unconsciously turns its leaves and blossoms toward the sun and sends its roots groping unerringly to the moisture so absorbed was she in looking at the square burly form before her that the sleigh suddenly stopped at mrs marchmont's door and hemstead looked around and caught her eye what was more he saw her apparently loving embrace of de forest he was not versed in the conditions of intoxication nor did he realize that de forest was so far gone as to make the act necessary but he could see her blush even in the moonlight without a word he assisted her out but had some difficulty with de forest who from the fumes of liquor and the cold air had grown very drowsy but hemstead's grasp was so strong and masterful that while he roused he also steadied and supported him up the steps lottie said to the coachman mr de forest is not well so we came home earlier you may now return for the others the man heard her with a stolid face that might have been mahogany but when by himself it relaxed into a grim smile as he chuckled i've seen people have such spells afore but if you was my daughter miss i'd make you give that chap the mitten cause sich bad spells is wonderful apt to grow on a feller mrs marchmont and mr dimmerly had retired and the rather dull servant who admitted them was too sleepy to note anything lottie promptly dismissed her and told her she would wait for the others hemstead saw de forest to his room he had become so stupid that he did mechanically what was urged and the student soon left him sleeping heavily but hemstead's heart was strangely burdened he had come to the conclusion that under all lottie's coquetry and cousinly freedom with de forest she had hidden a real attachment and that perhaps an engagement or at least an understanding existed between them he did not think at the time why this relation should so depress him he would probably have explained it by his natural regret that such a girl should be mismated to such a man but it might well have been doubted whether his heart would have become suddenly like lead had he discovered that his own cousin was engaged even to brentley however sincere might have been his regret but he descended to the parlor with the unselfish purpose and wish to bring her mind again under the spell of truth if possible hoping that the events of the evening would suggest the need of a better philosophy than she had learned in the past but he would have no little difficulty in maintaining his disinterestedness and general missionary spirit in the interview that awaited him for a young man but a few years past his majority with an impressible nature and a warm heart to watch through the witching hour of midnight with a maiden like lottie marsden and all the time have no other thought than her moral improvement is perhaps asking too much of human nature with the very best intentions and with the absolute conviction as he supposed that the young lady could only be a subject for his missionary zeal unconsciously the beautiful picture she made with the firelight flickering upon her face and the snowy opera cloak thrown around her stole into his heart that was large and empty waiting for an occupant i have drawn a chair close up to the fire she said for you must be cold after riding on that high seat with the coachman i am not cold but i thank you all the same 
you have been kinder to me than I deserved, Mr. Hemstead. Truly, Lottie's gratitude would be a dangerous thing to any man, as she expressed it then, and the disinterested student was conscious of a strange thrill at heart. But he said, with a flush of pleasure, I do not know that I have. At any rate, friends should not keep a debit and credit account with each other. And can you still feel friendly to me after this evening? Do I look savagely hostile? he asked, smilingly. I feared you would despise me. I certainly despise myself. From the fact that you so evidently blame yourself, I am less disposed to blame. But you rightly think me worthy of blame. Do you honestly care what I think, Miss Marsden? My opinions have been formed in what must seem a plain and homely world to you, quite devoid of the elegance and fashion to which you have been accustomed. I begin to think it is a better world than mine, and to-night I am sick of elegance and fashion. Yes, I honestly do care now what you think. I have been flattered and lied to all my life, and you are the first man who ever told me the unvarnished truth. He rose and paced thoughtfully up and down the room, then looked dubiously at her. She was so exquisitely beautiful, and seemed in such a kindly mood, that he was greatly tempted to temporize and say smooth things, lest he should offend and drive her away. But conscience whispered, Now is your opportunity to speak the unvarnished truth, whatever be the consequences. And conscience with Hemstead was an imperative martinet. She waited in curious and quiet expectancy. This sincere and unconventional man was delightfully odd and interesting to her. She saw the power and fascination of her beauty upon him, and at the same time perceived that in his crystal integrity he would give her his honest thought. She interpreted his hesitancy, and said, You fear that I should be offended? Yes. I promise you to listen patiently, yes, gratefully, to the severest things you can say. I may test your promise severely. I am a plain and awkward man. Will you permit a plain and homely illustration of my thought? I am in a mood for plain words to-night. They will be in keeping with the former events of the evening, which were plain enough. Well, then, were it possible that I could be the fortunate possessor of a statue by Phidias, I would not use it as a hat-stand. If I possessed a painting by Rubens, I would not turn it into a fire-screen. He hesitated as he saw the hot blood mount to her face, but she said quietly, Go on, I think I understand you. He continued in a tone that was as gentle as his words seemed harsh. Believe me, I am speaking in kindness, and only because you are brave enough to give me leave. As Phidias might embody beauty itself in marble, so God has bestowed it on you. When I was looking upon that marvelous scene, that transfigured world, the morning after my arrival, you appeared and seemed a part of it. Do you remember what I said then? I have reluctantly thought to-night that you could wear your coronet of beauty, not only as a benignant queen, but as a petty tyrant, that you could put it to ignoble uses and make it a slave to self. It seemed at times that you only sought to lead men to bow in admiration to you, instead of inspiring them to stand erect in true manhood, with their faces heavenward. A woman endowed as you are can always do with a man one of two things. Either fascinate him with her own personality, so that his thoughts is only of her, 
or else through her beauty and words and manner that are in keeping suggest the diviner loveliness of a noble life and character i am satisfied that one could not be in miss martell's society without being better or wishing to be better you might have the same influence and to a greater degree because you naturally have more force and quicker sympathies there is more magnetism in your nature and you could understand and help if you chose a wider range of character than she i doubt very much whether miss martell could make herself much at home among the plain country folks that you quite carried by storm the other evening god has given you the power and beauty will you let me ask in the spirit of kindness not criticism are you using these gifts for him or for yourself lottie's eyes were moist but her brow was contracted into a thoughtful frown as she sat lowering at the fire after a few moments silence she said in a tone of bitterness as i feel and see things to-night i should say for neither god nor myself but solely and expressly for the sake of the evil one what good what happiness do all the compliments all the attention i ever received secure to me to-night i thought i was using all for my own benefit that was my only purpose and aim but every flattering thing that i can remember is only a burden to think of now i am the worse for my beauty as you regard it i cannot think of any one that i have made better but many that i have made worse i seem to have been receiving all my life and yet to-night i feel as if i had nothing but a burden upon my heart hemstead's words were not reassuring indeed lottie thought them a trifle harsh though spoken so kindly you cannot feel otherwise miss marsden you have been seeking to keep and use for yourself what god meant you should use for him you feel very much as you would did you take a large sum of money left in your hands as a sacred trust and go on a pleasure trip with it he has entrusted to you the richest and rarest gifts and every day that you have misappropriated them is a burden upon your conscience you will feel the same after a long life of adulation in which every whim has been gratified believe me miss marsden it is a very sad thing to come to the end of one's life with no other possession than a burdened conscience and a heavy guilty heart i long to save you from such a fate that would be a wretchedly poor result of a lifetime for one endowed as you are your words are very severe mr hemstead she said in a low tone burying her face in her hands faithful are the wounds of a friend he replied i never thought i could permit any one to speak to me as you have done nor would i endure it from you did i not recognize something like sympathy in the voice with which you speak such cutting words but i fear they are true after all a burdened conscience and a guilty heart seemed all there is left of me to-night he was about to reverse the picture and portray in strong and hopeful terms what she might be and what she could accomplish when the sleigh-bells announced the return of the rest of the party she sprang up and said hastily i do not wish to meet them to-night and so will retire at once as physician of the mind diseased you dearly believe in what is termed the heroic treatment your scalpel is sharp and you cut deeply but as proof that i have kept my word and am not offended i give you my hand he took it in both of his but did not speak 
she looked up at him through the tears that still lingered and was touched to see that his eyes were as moist as hers giving his hand a cordial pressure she said as she left him you cannot look at me in harsh criticism through tears of sympathy your face is kinder than your words i am glad you do not despise me hemstead admitted harcourt and the young ladies into the shadowy hall and then bade them good-night he too was in no mood for addie's gossip or bell's satire they had also found harcourt strangely silent and preoccupied the evident influence of miss martell over harcourt and their intimate relations require some explanation he was an orphan and his father had been a friend of mr martell during the last illness of the elder mr harcourt he had asked his friend to take some interest in his son and when possible to give him friendly counsel to a man like mr martell such a request was like a sacred obligation and he had sought to do more than was asked he wrote the young man almost fatherly letters and often invited him to his house thus it came about that the influence of mr martell and his daughter did more to restrain the wayward tendencies of young harcourt than all other things combined and it must be confessed that the little blue-eyed girl had more influence than the wise old father she seemed to take almost a sisterly interest in him and occasionally wrote such a sweet little letter that he would reform his college life for a week thereafter but he seemed to have a dash of wild blood that would break out only too often into indiscretions the rumors of which filled his kind friend mr martell with anxiety but alice his daughter ever insisted that he would come out all right tom has a good heart father she would say and so with woman's faith she hoped where her father feared if harcourt could have been continually under their influence he would have undoubtedly had developed into a far better man but between absence at college and the law school and some travel during vacations he saw less and less of them alice also was kept very steadily at school and during the last two years of her studies they had missed each other in vacations and seldom met but something more than maidenly modesty and pride made alice shy and reserved when with harcourt she would think more about him but talk less to him than to others when in company she was a peculiarly sensitive diffident girl and instinctively shrank from the man who had for her the strongest interest on the completion of her studies her father had taken her abroad and they had spent two or three years in travel the extraordinary graces of her person were but the reflex of her richly cultivated mind even abroad she had many admirers but with tact firmness and inimitable grace she ever sought to prevent false hopes and so had fewer offers than an ordinary coquette but many who soon learned that they could never establish a dearer relation became strong friends and also better men for alice martell seemed to have the power of evoking all the good there was in a man and of putting him under a kind of sacred obligation to be true and manly as the result of her acquaintance however deep and lasting regret may have been no man ever left her presence in harsh and bitter contempt for the very name of woman as too often had been the case with lottie marsden those who knew her least said she was cold and those who knew her true womanly heart best wondered at her continued indifference to every suit and sometimes she wondered at herself 
how it was that all the attention she received scarcely ever quickened her pulse but when after long absence she returned and met the friend and playmate of her childhood the wayward youth to whom she was accustomed to give sisterly counsel her pulse was so strangely accelerated and the blood so quick to mount to her face at his every word and look that she began to understand herself somewhat they had but recently returned to their residence on the banks of the hudson and harcourt was made a welcome visitor having completed his professional studies the young man had succeeded largely to the practice of his deceased father and was doing well in a business point of view he had inherited enough property to secure a good start in life but not enough to rob him of the wholesome stimulus which comes from the need of self-exertion he had an acute active mind abundance of intellect and fire flashed from his dark eyes and we have seen that he was not without good and generous traits but in his spiritual life he had become materialistic and sceptical his associations were brilliant but fast men and for him also the wine-cup was gaining dangerous fascination mr martell in the spirit of the most friendly interest soon learned these facts after his return and also the gossip which brought a sudden paleness to his daughter's cheek that he was engaged or virtually engaged to addie marchmont while alice therefore was kind she seemed to avoid him and he found it almost impossible to be alone with her she had always dwelt in his mind more as a cherished ideal a revered saint than as an ordinary flesh-and-blood girl with whom he was fit to associate and for a time after her return her manner increased this impression he explained the recognized fact that she shunned his society by thinking that she knew his evil tendencies and that to her believing and christian spirit his faithless and irregular life was utterly uncongenial for a short time he had tried to ignore her opinion and society in reckless indifference but the loveliness of her person and character daily grew more fascinating and his evil habits lost in power as she gained for some little time before mrs byram's company he had been earnestly wishing that he could become worthy of at least her esteem and old friendly regard not daring to hope for anything more it never occurred to him that gossip had coupled his name with his cousin addie and that this fact influenced miss martell's manner as well as his tendencies toward dissipation he laid it all to the latter cause and was beginning to feel that he could live the life of an ascetic if this lovely saint would only permit his devotion and alice so sensitive where he was concerned thought she saw a change in him for the better and in the spirit of womanly self-sacrifice was resolving to see more of him than was prudent for her peace of mind if by doing so she could regain her old power to advise and restrain with gladness she recognized her influence over him at mrs byram's company and as we have seen made the most of it but with surprise and some strange thrills at heart she noted that he and addie marchmont did not act as an engaged couple naturally would and observed with disgust that miss marchmont seemed more pleased with brentley's attentions than lottie marsden had been that a man of harcourt's force and mind should be captivated by such a girl as miss marchmont had been a mystery and she thought when seeing them together in mrs byram's parlors they take it more coolly than any people i ever saw 
Addie appeared engrossed with the attentions of others, and Harcourt not in the least jealous or annoyed. In brief, they acted like cousins and not in the least like lovers. But in the sensitive delicacy of her character she would not permit her mind to dwell on the problem of their relations, and bent all her thoughts upon her effort to win Harcourt to a better life. And she had moved him that evening more deeply than she could know. Neither she nor any finite power could plant righteous principle within his soul and transform his character. But she had created, for the time at least, an utter distaste for all low and sensual pleasures, and an honest and absorbing wish to become a true good man. He felt that he could not, in her society, and breathing the pure atmosphere of her life, be his old self. Never did a man return from a fashionable revel in a more serious and thoughtful mood, and equally with Lottie and Hemstead he was glad to escape from the trifling chat and gossip of Addie and Belparton to the solitude of his own room. End of chapter 17